Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. Our guests today are real-life partners and now partners on stage, Michael Yuri and Ryan Spahn. You'll obviously remember Michael Yuri from our solo episode that I had with just him and me from, it was episode 128, actually. It's been a little while, and now this is the first time I've met his partner, Ryan Spahn, and getting to talk to the two of them together was just absolutely incredible because this is less of an episode about theater, actually, and I think more of an episode about how to maintain a successful relationship. The two of them get into how they've maintained their trust and their respect and their support of each other through this tumultuous, hard industry over the last 14 years. They've been together over 14 years and just listening to them talk about each other, it's it's so sweet. Uh, they tell the story too, actually, about how they pioneered the DIY multicam over Zoom when the pandemic hit. They were doing multicam Zoom from their apartment. It was actually, <laughs> actually really cool. So if you haven't seen Michael in Buyer and Seller, of course, go check that out. But the, the show that they're in now, the parts were specifically written for them because uh, they, they had something written for them do, during the pandemic. And then they were the people that this writer wanted to work with again and it just grew and grew and she got more inspired and now they're doing this full-fledged production at the Shakespeare Theater Company down in DC. It's actually amazing. So fair warning, there was some construction happening in my house while this episode was recording. So if you hear some faint banging in the background, don't worry. It's coming from your speakers, not from your actual local reality. So anyway, (laughs) I've rambled long enough. Please enjoy this episode with Michael and Ryan. Today's guests, that's right, we have two of them, both amazingly talented stars of stage and screen. First up, I've had the pleasure of knowing and working with Michael Yuri for several years now, who, of course, we all know from TV work such as Ugly Betty or his Broadway credits, most recently including Grand Horizons and Chicken and Biscuits or uh, two Broadway podcast network original radio plays As the Curtain Rises and Twits. And also we have Ryan Spawn, who I have the pleasure of meeting right now. Ryan is also a brilliant actor who rose to fame playing Sammy Halpern in What's Your Emergency and Preston in Common Ground, the web series. Some of Ryan's other roles I enjoyed include Ryan in the web series, The Web Series, The Interviewer in Human Interest, and Joel in The Bite. And they are real-life partners. They also are now stage partners, currently a week into their run in the show called Jane Anger in Washington, D.C. at the Shakespeare Theater Company. And now I have the pleasure of sharing. uh, Now they have the pleasure. I wish I did. Now they have the pleasure of sharing the stage with each other night after night. Michael and Ryan, welcome to the theater podcast. Thank you so much. Hello. Thank you for joining me from the coat closet. You're you're doing. (laughs) We are here in the um, Shakespeare Theater coat closet where there's uh, a jar of tips. (laughs) There's a lost and and lots of empty hangers waiting. You should pull out one of the tips. Built. It's going to say, like, don't quit your day job. 
right? You know, yeah. but I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so obviously, Michael, you and I have had a solo episode and we've got other things. So for those listeners right now, um, I know we are, we've got 45 minutes. You got a hard out. So if you want to hear all about Michael's upbringings, go back to our solo episode, which is 128. But Ryan, I want to dive into you real quick. And I want to know sure. what got you into theater? Where did you originally decide, like, this is my jam? It originally started when I saw this local production of A Christmas Carol at the Meadowbrook Theater um, when I was about 11 or 12. And I decided I wanted to be in that show. And then the following year I was in it. And then I called Juilliard one day after reading an article about Robin Williams. And Robin Williams in this article suggested how amazing Juilliard was, which is why I thought to call them. And so when I was 14, I called uh, Juilliard at New York City in New York City, and they uh, recommended that I go to Interlock and Arts Academy, which is a performing arts high school in northern Michigan. And then I attended that school until I graduated high school, and then I moved to L.A., and that sort of was the beginning of my love for theater. Wow. And so you guys met out in L.A., right? We first, very good, we did first meet in L.A., although Ryan doesn't remember it. <laughs> we met through a mutual friend, and I liked this. Actually, our mutual friend who was Ryan's roommate at Interlochen and my roommate at Juilliard, we were at his birthday party, and I said, hey, who's that guy over there? I like the looks of him, and my oh, friend oh, tried to set us that, up. Jim. <laughs> and so Ryan and I had a great couple of phone calls, um, and then we had a plan to meet and go see a play. We were going to go see Cherry Jones in Doubt at the Amundsen. Yeah, I had tickets. We were going on a double date with another couple. Nothing more romantic than Doubt. <laughs> and um, I had to cancel because a friend died. Very sad. Oh. I, it, it was. It was. I was just was not in the mood. And, um, and and had to cancel. And then that was around the time that Ugly Betty first came on TV. So my life was like crazy at that time and totally changing. And I kind of dropped the ball. And it wasn't until like two years later that another mutual friend, now in New York, where we had both relocated. You, I was you, relocating. You relocate, he relocated for work and I relocated for work as well but just i was doing more theater and it brought me to new york and so we we reconnected in new york two years later my life was very different by then and and then it worked so we we sort of met twice two mutual friends two years apart but ryan you don't remember the first time you guys met i remember being at the party that he is citing as where we first met but i don't actually remember meeting him you don't remember being like scoped out having somebody yeah <laughs> well i remember just like the thing i was there with james and james had gone to juilliard with michael and all of their classmates were there so i sort of remember meeting like 12 people from his school which probably he was inside of that and so i was meeting 12 new people and they were meeting one new person so it makes sense that they might remember me and i don't remember the 12 people that i met so then the, you also had a guest star uh, on ugly betty yourself like were you in the yeah. same scene together i don't know did you get to work together we then? were not no no, no it was uh it was a um a, you were in the scene did, I rob? did i rob yeah you were Betty? a thief or something you were in, you, you there was a blackout oh there's a blackout in the building or something and i and betty graciously let my character in because i she thought i was just this nice guy and then i ended up robbing somebody <laughs> That's, I, I didn't have a scene with, with you oh. but they but we were a couple at the time 
but I don't think they knew you were my boyfriend. I think you auditioned and got. The I job. got auditioned, and then they found out on set that we were. Together. Yeah, and they put him in my dressing room. <laughs> yeah, they did. They moved. Which was definitely nicer than a guest star's dressing room would have would have. Yeah, <laughs> fair, fair. Well, it is uh, as the two of you, you both have like these amazing careers that independently are so great. Um, how how did it come together so that you're now together in DC? Did you audition together or audition separately? And it just again, it so so happened that you both got cast and now share a dressing room. <laughs> well, and this and, and a coat closet. Um, and for this play, actually the roles were written for us. Talene Monahan, who wrote the play, who you might remember from The Government Inspector with me, and she wrote a play called How to Load a Musket that played at 59 right before the pandemic that Ryan was in. Um, she's a wonderful actor and a wonderful writer. She had this idea early in the pandemic about, um, about William Shakespeare in quarantine writing King Lear because... I don't know if you remember this, but when the pandemic first hit, there were a lot of people online in, on social media and stuff saying to artists, hey, don't sit this pandemic out. William Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the Black Plague. And, you know, Talene thought that was very funny. Like, OK, every, OK, everyone calm down. Yeah, we're not going to write King Lear, but um, <laughs> it's time to be opportunistic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, and so she had this idea, like, what if what if he'd been stuck in quarantine with someone and had writer's block? And so she wrote this short play called Frankie and Will that um, she wrote with Ryan and me in mind. And um, we did it on Zoom for MCC Theater. MCC was doing a lot of short plays on Zoom at the time. But like, this is like May 2020. Oh, yeah. Right when Oh yeah, locked started down. going digital because everyone was panicking about what to do. Yeah, we were in full lockdown. And so we did it all over our apartment. We like basically turned our apartment into Shakespeare's flat. And we had two two phones going that we two, would switch between each other yeah. on Zoom and so it looked like we had a multicam situation. Yeah. We had figured out how to cleverly move between Zoom rooms so that the audience felt like there were actual camera changes, even though it's just our cell phones being held at different angles. Yeah, and the audiences were at that time used to seeing readings on Zoom, but I remember a lot of people saying, it's so amazing to see actors in space together again. Um, yeah, because we doing... could touch. It was physical. Like we yeah. were physically touching, and the, it's physical comedy. The show is is very is very physical, and so that was fun for people to watch. And so it was just Will Shakespeare and uh, his um, this apprentice, idiot apprentice, who Ryan played, and um, and it was it was about twenty minutes. And most of the material that we did in Frankie and Will is now a part of Jane Anger, but um, Frankie and Will went really well. Um, got reviewed in the New York Times. Wow. People, a lot of people watched it. Um, and uh, so Talene was inspired to go write more. And what she what she always says that is so funny. It's like she was like, it always amazed me how easily writing um, misogynist men came to me. To <laughs> <laughs> offset this. And so she 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 found this character in history, this actual person in history named Jane Anger. No one knows anything about Jane Anger, but um, except that there are these feminist writings, these pamphlets um, that, that Jane created, whoever this Jane was. 
um, created. And so Tallinn has imagined who this person was and imagined that Jane knew Shakespeare. And, uh, and in fact, that, that Jane is the only person who can help with Shakespeare's crippling writer's block. Um, and meanwhile, Jane needs Will's help, Will Shakespeare's help, getting her writing published, because of course, in 1606, women weren't going to get published. And so she needed him, he needs her, they're trapped in an apartment together, and that's kind of the play. Wow. That is, that I was going to say, it's like art imitates life a little bit, but it sounds like it was written based out of life. Yeah, that, that's so cool how it, how it evolved like that. And then the two of you together in your apartment, you were performing. I mean, you did a lot more, right? You did a lot more uh, performances. Oh, yeah. We did a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff during the pandemic. The and first big one was we did Buyer and Seller. Right. One man play that I was in for so long. We did, we did that um, in our apartment. And Ryan was like the, 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 you know, production designer, stage manager, cinematographer he sort of worked everything behind the scenes and i did the play in the corner of our apartment and that was when we sort and we had two two cameras for that too so that was sort of when we had the idea like you can know, we switch between cameras yeah that? we can make theater in here we can make more or multi-camera television that that you know feels like theater in here uh and that i think that's that that was one of the first things that inspired to um, but it inspired a lot of people because I think then from that point on, we were sort of the go-to team for a lot of theaters to either understand how we did this. So they would ask us to do readings or ask us to do certain things in hopes of learning how we were able to manage this uh, way of filming within our apartments. Yeah. And so it was a, it was nice to be... Um, helpful for theaters when we had figured something out pretty early on right that's that's so cool that you guys work together on this and and i mean it sounds like from the stories you've been telling that you've always been very i guess collaborative and lockstep of like pushing toward a goal together but there are there are some couples that if you're in the same business you get very competitive and especially this is a business that's already very competitive and um have you found yourself like as a couple sort of like ever with the acting business trying to wedge itself between you or do you hold together and you know you're 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 back to back battling off the demons of the <laughs> of the business together the things that wedge us is the business itself at times, not necessarily like, I wish I had the role that you got, or you're getting more opportunity than me. It's more the like ups and downs of the business and how emotional that can be. And that coming into our home can be something that we have to work really hard to not let that affect us as a couple, us as, you know, our home life or the, our quality of life. That's, um, I would say the biggest yeah. thing that we've that we have to balance. Yeah, we're really, I mean, we're each other's biggest fans. Like, uh, uh, you know, so so what's hard is it's, it's, it's very easy to support each other. It's very easy to like build up each other and to, to get excited about each other's um, successes. But it, it also, you also take on the rejection, you know, which is constant in this business and, and, and the, you know, and, you know, with, Shows close, shows get canceled, um, jobs don't don't happen, or jobs go away, or a global pandemic hits, and everything and you, everything goes away. Like that kind of stuff is all. So whereas like the joy is doubled 
the success is doubled, the, uh, the, the failure is also doubled. Wow. And that can be really hard. But it also, like, he knows, you know, he knows what it's like. I know what it's like. We understand each other. And also, because we're, 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 we have different, we sort of have different tracks and in in, in, we have different paths in show business, it's it's been really helpful i think for both of us to see how his for me to see how his career works and for him to see how my career works yeah and yeah. then to see how they intersect and i will say like this one we found this one we did we did this play in new york at the uh, new ohio in in the winter and and doing and we've done theater together before we were in hamlet together here in washington uh we did a play on martha's vineyard together uh once and and doing theater together can be really, really wonderful because we understand each other's rhythms so well. So like on stage, it's just like play. It's just fun. I know exactly when he's going to stop talking. He knows exactly. <laughs> there was a moment a couple of nights ago where <clears throat> I didn't hold for a laugh in a way that I know he would have wanted me to because I wasn't predicting that there would be a laugh but he looked at me in a certain way that I <laughs> clocked it. And then that night he was like, hey, you know, in this one moment. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know. You want me to hold for a laugh. You gave me that note on stage. <laughs> I could tell in your eyes that you were giving me that note. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the kind of thing that like it, it, it's, it makes it really because like that's a kind of note that when you're working with an actor, you don't know intimately you you might not feel comfortable giving them a note or asking them to do something like that. You might like have to go to the director or go to the stage manager or whatever. Um, but when it's us, it's sort of easy to just be like, hey, hold for that laugh if it happens or be ready to hold for that laugh if it happens or please stop you know, doing this or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. But the hard part about working together in the theater is that it, you know, especially like now we're open, we opened on Friday. And so now we have our days free, except for like when we're doing press and stuff like this, but, but it's hard. The hours are relentless and um, the, the, you, you, you know, it's eight shows a week. Um, you're doing eight out of tens and sometimes two shows a day. And, and, and we have a dog and a cat. And so, Sometimes it's a little like there's no place to go to get away from it. Not not each other, but it. Like the play is always. Um, and that was something we had to sort of, when we did it the first time, we kind of had to, we would come home and we would talk about the play. And if it was a tough day at the play, then it was a tough day at home. And and we eventually had to get better about that and, and to say to each other, okay, let's, we can talk for five more minutes about the play and then we have to do something else. Or to talk about something else. Yeah, because you want to come home and share your day or share your highs and lows with your partner. That's part of the joy of being in a partnership. But if you're both having the exact same experience, more or less, then there's no sharing. There's just commiserating. And then it, it becomes, it can, you can spiral down if you don't stop yourself. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. And I, I was going to ask about, you know, everybody should get their time by themselves, even in loving and, and, you know, quote, perfect marriages or relationships or whatnot. Right. But, uh, cause you know, I love my family, but every now and then I'm just like, I gotta, I gotta just get away from all of you and be by myself for a second. <laughs> so yeah, that I was going to say, that sounds really hard when you're day after day, night after night and, 
and you're right. Like you bring, you bring the, the struggles home with you and then you talk about it. And is, what about the reverse though? If like, if there are, are things happening personally and you have to come and do this comedy together at, at night, right? Is it easy to like flip that switch and go into funny mode when if like there's been something stressful happening personally? We've been really, we're very good at switching things off and we're also very uh, transparent with each other. And so we can get through rough patches quickly because neither one of us is withholding with the other. So we communicate really well. And I think that allows for us to sort of figure something out before we enter the workspace or we're just have done this long enough to know how to just like stop it, go do work come back to it later and have it not interfere. Yeah. There's, there we don't hold grudges. You and I, if there's a problem, we like deal with it. Yeah. We don't hold grudges and neither one of us is overly sentimental. Not that that's a bad thing, but I think that that can create some sort of like emotional things you hold on to if you're very sentimental about things. And, and I think that combination makes it easy for us to sort of work through things. Also, we don't work together all the time. Like we've, you know, we've been together 14 years and we've worked together. I would say a total of a year and a half of that. And so, so much of our time is spent working separately or working in different States. And so we get a lot of time away from each other. And I think that level of pining helps us really enjoy the times that we share together. That's really cool. And is there, are there projects that, that you've talked about that you're that you want to start doing like creatively. Yeah, I've got a project that I'm going to go off and do without Ryan. Um, he just finished doing a play off Broadway. Um, you actually did. Well, that's a very funny story. <laughs> I was in a play at the uh, Audible Theater, the Minetta Lane, and in the middle of it, I booked an episode of a television show and had to step away for a week, or you know, was allowed to step away, and the nature of my part didn't warrant them getting me an official understudy. And so Michael agreed to learn it and play the role for five or six performances or how many did you do? Four. Four. While I shot this episode of this, of this show. So we actually shared a role about a month and a half ago. That was a first. <laughs> oh, that's, <laughs> that's so fun. I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's cool that you, the, the two of you together, get to be the same person that is not either of you. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> but then also I, I was trying, like I, when I was rehearsing that play and doing that play, um, it's a very g- good play. I loved doing the play and the part is, is a wonderful part, but it is actually a, ca- a character that's only on stage for like 12 or 14 minutes. It's a very specific um, device character. And I would try to explain to him how hard the role was, even though it was only 12 minutes, but it, it lived, it, it, he, 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 the character, it's an entirely Asian American cast. And I was the only white person in the show. And when my character would come on stage, it would introduce and remind the audience that this whole play would have been in Mandarin if this was performed the way it should be performed, but because it's being performed in New York, the Asian American cast are all speaking English. And when I enter I create language chaos for everyone. And so it lived in sort of a weird place. Like I would speak in third person or I'd use uh, Google Translate to speak to the other actors. And I would explain to him how hard it was and he couldn't quite get it. And then the first night he went on stage, 
I was like, how did it go? And he's like, I, it was terrifying. <laughs> it was terrifying. <laughs> because you're speaking, it's just, it's not, it's not linear. It's, you're, you know, uh, this character speaks in a sort of third person. It's a very cool play. It's called Good Enemy. You'll be able to hear it on Audible soon. Um, it's very cool, but it was really hard. And like, you know, it's, it's not a big part. I know there are no small parts. It's not a big part. There's not a lot of material, not a lot of stage time, but it's one of the scariest things I've ever done. <laughs> and it was hard for you. It was very hard. A month of rehearsal. It was very hard because it's, because you can't, it was the rhythmically, it's a, you can't, you couldn't get off rhythm. And then there was a night where we did get off rhythm and I went up on a line. Like I forgot my line for a second and none of us could help each other because I'm speaking in third person. The man playing my father, Francis, or not my father, my girlfriend's father, Francis Jew, he doesn't speak English. And my the girl playing my girlfriend, she doesn't speak she doesn't understand what I'm saying. So we hit this moment where none of us could save each other. And we just lived in silence for a few seconds Terrifying. because it was literally, we couldn't help each other. <laughs> and I just had to jump to the end of the scene. That is, that's the worst feeling ever. It's like, you just feel like your guts are starting to slowly yeah. fall out of your chest. Ugh. It's theatrical skydiving. There's <laughs> <laughs> also this like, this thing when you know like you get to a point in rehearsal and it can it can drive you really crazy it drives me really crazy where you know where like you really need an audience you know what i mean like where you're doing a play especially a comedy or something that's supposed to elicit laughs like like that those scenes in good enemy or jane anger you get to a point in a comedy where the only thing you can get a laugh from in the room from you know the director the stage management um, whomever's in the room, the other actors, the only thing that they'll really laugh at is a mistake um, or something that you do that's like way new or wild and wacky. And so, Because they've watched you do it for two weeks. Yeah, because they've watched you. They've yeah. seen all the jokes. They've seen all, they've seen all the choices. They've seen all the bits. And the only thing you can get a laugh from is flub or a mistake or a wild and crazy inappropriate cho choice, which usually like, or, or something that's like, they call it a rehearsal laugh where – it's like, this is only funny to us because we know everything. So they're not going to laugh at the, the audience isn't going to laugh at this, but we'll laugh at this. Anyway, so you get tired of those. You know, you, you do those and then you're like, I got to get in front of an audience. I got to, I got to see what this is really like. And then when you go in front of an audience and you make a mistake, they do not laugh. <laughs> they don't, they do not. It's like, like, you, you know, like, whereas, whereas, any of that stuff would have. Oh been. yeah, it would. It had happened in rehearsal for Good Enemy, and the, the whole, you know, team would laugh. But, it's, but it happens on stage, and it feels like a little part of you has just died. Yes, because <laughs> the audience, they don't, they don't, sometimes they know you're making a mistake, but usually they they just take what's coming at them as 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 the way it's supposed to be, and and the so so like it just becomes this like scary quiet pregnant pause yeah. and you're like oh this oh right this isn't funny to them i'm used to like making a mistake and getting people to laugh like when i had a put in rehearsal for good enemy and i made a mistake it would make people laugh but then in the in the show in front of an audience if i made a mistake they did not laugh and our union actors equity <laughs> they require that there be two um two notifications to an audience when uh, an understudy goes on. So 
there there are three ways you can you can notify an audience. There can be a, a a slip of paper in your program. There can be a sign in the lobby, or they can make it make an announcement. So they put a slip of paper in the program, but they didn't have my name on a sign. They had these like you know these you know in the front of a theater. There's like the, the, at this performance mm-hmm. the rolls of blah blah blah. They didn't have my name on a strip. So instead of doing my name on a strip, they made an announcement. So literally. Right before the show started, somebody came on the God mic and said, at tonight's performance, the role usually played by Ryan Spahn will be played by Michael Urie. So so not only... Did they say the role of White's boyfriend? Yes, the character's the name character's was... The character's name is White's boyfriend, which is already... <laughs> LOL. <laughs> so yes, they didn't say what the character usually played by Ryan Spahn. They said the, char- the, the role of White boyfriend will be played by Michael Urie. And so as soon as the one white guy shows up on stage, they're like, understudy! Point, 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 understudy. And and so that that like on top of everything, I'm like terrified because they know that I'm an understudy. <laughs> it was it was it was terrifying. What a wild experience. And you know, it, it wasn't the first time and we've been together for over 14 years. There have been other times when Ryan has been in a play and I have been not working and he's maybe gotten a TV show or like maybe gonna get something that would conflict. And we've half jokingly said well, if you get that job and you have to miss performance, I'll just go on for you. And it never happened until it happened. And now <laughs> I hope it never happens again <laughs> because it was terrifying. It was really fun. I'm so glad we did it. I'm so glad you got to go be on that show. But whew, it was how scary. much rehearsal did you have? I had half. I mean, I had like three hours. That's it. Yes. He had like four days notice, so he did have lead time to at least get familiar with it. But I was out of town, so I, I was out, I had to come back into town. I was out of town. And you were in D.C. doing... I was here doing a photo shoot for this play, and I just did... And I was traveling, and and and, and so I, I wasn't like I could go and watch the play three times to, to like... No, the first time... I mean, time, thankfully you had seen I it. I had seen it, yeah. yes. I had, I had already seen it, thankfully, but... Um, no, I was just trying to learn in a vacuum and I had the wrong script and the show went on and it was, and it was really fun to do. And it was a beautiful play, but that sounds um, like, like, like my worst stress dream where it is literally an actor's nightmare dream come to life. I have, I have legitimately had this recurring dream and the show changes every time. But the most recent I was, uh, I, I was attending, um, Moulin Rouge, the musical, and over the God mic, they're like, Alan Seals, we need you to come to the stage door. And so I went around and they're like, all right, we have nobody to cover this swing role. We need you to go in and stand over here and learn the dance number, <laughs> learn the dance number while the show is happening. And so this, and I literally, I wake up and I'm stressed and I'm angry all morning because I'm like, oh God, oh God, I, they, they know I suck. They know I didn't know the role. And like I have those actual stress dreams that you just went through. And I, this is giving me like shivers just thinking about the pressure that you were under in those four performances. That's fantastic. <laughs> I've had that. I've had that dream, not with Moulin Rouge, but I've had the dream where I'm in the audience and I'm supposed to, and I can't find the stage. You're like, you're supposed to be on stage and you just can't find the stage. And I can't find, you can't get the, you can't can't get the entrance. <laughs> I'm, I'm like watching the show and I'm like, I don't know where the door is. I don't know how to get backstage. Like my, my entrance <laughs> is coming up and I don't know how to get there. <laughs> oh my god yeah that uh oh, actors actors anxieties that's that's what the union should be called actors anxiety 
(laughs) (laughs) And then also, can we talk about shrinking? Is that? Yes, we can talk about shrinking. Okay. Okay. So Apple TV's shrinking. Michael, you're going to be seen alongside Jason Siegel, who serves as writer and executive producer. And this little guy, he's on the up and up called Harrison Ford. Um, Jessica Williams, Christina (laughs) Miller. Jeez, dude. Like, what? Tell us about this. What was that like? I, it's I, so good. Uh, I've watched like nine episodes and, and he's excellent on it. And the show is so excellent. Thank you. That's so sweet, Ryan. Thank you. Um, I, I, I had major imposter syndrome when I got there to be working with all those people. It's created by um, Bill Lawrence, Brett Goldstein and Jason Siegel. Bill Lawrence is the co-creator of Ted Lasso and Brett Goldstein is on Ted Lasso and a writer on Ted Lasso. And so, I love that show, Ted Lasso, and it's, as you may know, a big hit. And so suddenly here I am with Jason Siegel, who I also have loved, Harrison Ford, who I literally had action figures of. Um, and, I'm, and I'm like, are they sure that they did they mean to cast me? I, it's the first time I've ever really had imposter syndrome. And I and, and the first I, like month of being there, I was like, I can't. I didn't know any of them. I, you know, it, it, I, I, I made an audition. Ryan helped me go on tape in our bedroom. And so he owes me 10%. I owe him 10%. Fair. And then, and then when I got <laughs> the job, like it was, I'd never met, I just never met anyone. It was the first time I'd ever done a job where I didn't know a single person. And uh, it was, it was terrifying, but very cool. I mean, a really warm and happy place to go to work. And, uh, you know, working with Harrison Ford, he's a he's a good man. He's a sweet. He likes to pretend to be cranky, but he's so mm-hmm. he loves working, and he loves being there. And he loved, and and he's really good in the show. Yeah, he's he, great. He does such good work. It's just a great show about loss and sort of when the anchor of a group of people is removed from that group of people, how that entire group moves on and how it affects and changes the dynamics of all the different people. And Mm. they use um, a lot of like bittersweet humor to sort of move through very difficult things. And I think it's a very um, effective show. Yeah. It's about mental health, really. It's about mental health and people trying to connect and um, Jason and Harrison and Jessica play uh, shrinks. That's why it's called shrinking. And, um, and the ways in which the, the, they interweave mental health is so clever. And, you know, you get to the end of an episode and you're like, oh, that was an episode about trauma or that was an episode of um, PTSD or, or about, uh, you know, about, about um, loss. It's a lot of loss. Brett Goldstein, uh, that dude, I didn't realize when you said the name, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. And then I just Googled him. I was like, oh, yeah, freaking Roy, Roy Kent. Like right the there. best one of my like the best character, I think, other than Ted Lasso himself, I think is Roy Kent. At- oh, 100 percent. And, you know, um, he was a writer on Ted Lasso. I didn't know that before he was cast as Roy Kent. Really? You yes. read the part in the writer's room and they're like, you know what? You should play the part. Yeah. And that's how we got wow. it. Well, yeah. If you guys can put in a good word for me, I have a podcast that I think he'd be great as a guest on. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. So let's <laughs> let's wrap here. I know you guys have a hard out. So, um, Michael, I'm going to ask you these questions again, too, but we're going to alternate. I don't. So, uh, 
I don't know if you remember your answers the first time from episode 128, oh, but you're welcome to give new answers. Wow. Okay, so uh, Ryan, uh, let's see. The first, the first standard closing question that I ask everybody is just what motivates you? What motivates me? Um, I get very inspired by new um, new writers, new things that I wit like new television shows, new art that comes out. And I think that the fact that things are getting, re you know, like a play like that we're doing right now, like a Jane Anger, the fact that this was born out of a very dark place and it, it outgrew this beautiful, fun, lively, exciting, funny show. I get inspired by the fact that like, even in the darkest of times, there's still a path towards creation that um, can inspire other people. That's beautiful. Um, and Michael, is your motivation changed? I don't know if you remember what you said, but his motivation is Ryan Spawn. <laughs> now my motivation is <laughs> Ryan Spawn and money. No, I don't know. <laughs> what was? Do you remember what it was? No, I meant to go back it? and listen, but I, I haven't. I didn't listen to the old episode. But I, I, I this might not. This might be different now. But I, I would say I, I, I'm, I'm much more excited, especially post pandemic. About post pandemic, I put an air quote about new work as well, because um, I was like. You know, it's especially in the theater. Like when you're just when you're dreaming, when you're when you're dreaming in the theater, you sort of always dream about the old plays because you you know. I mean, I'm not a writer, so I don't come up with new plays. But um, but there was always a, a, a you know like a oh I could do this old play or what about this old player or dream role? What's your dream role? And and I've been very lucky. I played a bunch of my dream roles already. I got to play Hamlet. I got to play Prior Walter. I got to play Arnold and Torch Song. And like the truth is, a dream. The the now when I think of dream roles, it's something that hasn't been written yet. It's you know I didn't know that William Shakespeare in Jane Anger was going to be a dream role until Talene Monahan wrote it. And truly, like, I would much rather be doing this part and this play than whatever was next on my bucket list. Because, you know, this was never on my bucket list because I didn't know it existed. And it's fun to imagine the people who are witnessing this play going, that is now my dream oh, role. Yeah, that's good. And that they get to think about a revival of this or doing it in a class or doing it at wherever it gets, you know, produced regionally and getting to play the role that they are now uh Covenant. imagining as their dream role. I love that. All right. So Ryan, uh, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? I would say make sure to take care of your mental and physical health as early as possible and really protect it. I think people put it off and don't are neither scared of it or aren't acknowledging it or don't realize that it's a big part of what we battle because we we have so much um, time spent in our heads either when we're crafting a role or when we're dealing with rejection or you know dealing with success and it all sort of creates this uh, mental space that we all live in and I think that if as early on as you can try to come to peace with it and try to understand yourself inside of that and i think that that is uh advice i would have given myself at it if i could talk to myself mm. all right so now both of you if you could only see one show for the rest of your life but you can see it as many times as you want what would you see Ooh. like a play 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 musical or even you can watch a uh a, a sitcom if you wanted your choice oh boy 
I mean, if it was a sitcom, it would be it would be uh, Schitt's Creek mm-hmm. or television show would be probably I don't know Golden uh, Girls for me. Schitt's Creek would be mine. I, I think, think that's what you said the first time too. <laughs> that sounds very <laughs> <really> familiar. <laughs> no, I I, um, I also this is this is maybe blasphemous, but I think I would have maybe said Into the Woods. But I gotta say, I'm getting tired of Into the Woods. Blasphemy. I've seen it so many. I've seen it so many times, and the Broadway production is incredible. I saw it twice. I loved it. Um, there's a production happening here right now. Everyone's like, "It's so good." I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know if I want to." <laughs> well, I think it. I think it leans into what you said earlier, which is now there's such an excitement and a wonder about what's to come versus what has been. And yeah. I think like. I don't know what play I would want to see over and over again because I don't think I'm interested in the plays that already exist as much. I'm more interested in, like, I bet this play, Jane Anger, I would have probably wanted to see multiple times if I had been in the audience. Mm, you know, I think I think it's 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 that probably plays into why you're less interested well, in Into the Woods. I also, you know, like Into the Woods, like the original Into the Woods that they filmed for PBS is is imprinted in my brain. I saw it so many times as a kid. When we were courting, we would lay in, in bed in, and watch the PBS recording. Yeah, we watched it together <laughs> when we were dating. And I just know everything, every single second of that thing. And so I can't watch Into the Woods without hearing the original cast. As good as, you know, as amazing as these new casts have been, um, I still always hear them. And, and so I guess... You know, I guess it's like, I don't want to see Into the Woods over and over again, but I want to see that version of Into the Well, I've seen it too many. I don't need to see it anymore because I know it so well. What's what's yours, Alan? Mine? Mine is, uh, I I've, I go to Rent because that was oh. my touchstone that got me into theater. And That's it's just something shirt. that, like for the same reason, it makes me feel that nostalgia and that love and that attraction to the stage that made me fall in love with the craft. So mm, yeah, that's that's a really good. That's I listen a good to that one. soundtrack. I'll tap into that soundtrack. It's got everything. That yeah. show has everything. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, everybody, please go see Ryan and Michael and uh, in Jane Anger down at the Shakespeare Theater Company in Washington D.C. Thank you both for this lovely conversation, I, Ryan. Lovely to meet you, Michael. Lovely you to see too. you again. You guys Thank are you. so amazing. I've loved watching your kids get bigger <laughs> between the, 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 the um, radio plays we did and these podcasts. I've, I've gotten to see your kids pop in and it's really sweet. <laughs> that was the little one that popped in earlier. He's, he's six and a it. half now. Yeah. Can't believe it. Wow. A baby. I mean, you know, like he was a baby when mm-hmm. we were, when we were first doing as the curtain rises early in the pandemic. Which is uh, we're we're promoting it again because Avatar the two just dropped. Oh right, we saw it. We, we just saw it yesterday. Yeah. yeah, so everyone go see as the curtain or listen to as the curtain rises. You can find more of me and these episodes at thetheaterpodcast.com. Show your support for the podcast at thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon. P A T R E O N. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. Wherever you're listening now, please leave a rating, leave a review. It helps others discover the podcast. And thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. All right. Thank you. Thank you both. I know you got to run. I appreciate this so much. It was so so great talking to you. Great to see you. The beard looks great. Thank you. Be well. (laughs) Take a deep breath. Make the world a little colorful. 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.